I think being present is, though it gets thrown around a lot these days, it is just so critically important. And the more we're able to do that, the more we're able to accomplish and experience all the things that we want. Not in, not only in that moment, but in life in general. Hello, everyone, and welcome back, or welcome to the Feeding Curiosity podcast. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel. As always, Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience. Really, just the random occurrences that happen to each of our lives and how we interpret those experiences to live the most fulfilling life that we can. And it's my hope through these conversations that you're going to take away the blueprints to live a more fulfilling life. And with that, everyone, please enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Darren Davidson. Darren is a orthopedic surgeon. Darren is the founder of Darren Davidson MD Consulting to improve the health and wellness of everyone through integration of holistic principles within the traditional medical model. By combining the best available knowledge and evidence from all fields, which contribute to human performance and wellness, such as medicine, psychology, sleep, nutrition, and exercise, we can obtain the greatest level of well-being. I'm sure most of you who just heard me list that out sounds really similar to how I think about the world. I really related with a lot of Darren's viewpoints and how he was able to see what wasn't working within the standard medical practice. So he finished his residency in 2009. And over that time period, he got to see a lot of the things that we now know inside the medical field, the high levels of burnout, the crazy hours and crazy schedules. In this conversation, I really tried to pull on the threads of how Darren saw the medical world and saw how where the things that weren't working and now trying to apply the things he saw in his personal life into the medical practice to improve the quality of life for those around him. And with that, everyone, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Darren Davidson. Welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. On today's episode, we're joined by Darren Davidson. Hey, Darren. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. This is awesome to to talk to you and and so your background, you're a surgeon, correct? Yes, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. So for me, this is an awesome conversation to be having because I spend so much time listening to different health specialists and being a fly in the wall in other podcasting conversations. So to actually be able to talk to someone who's embedded in the medical field is really special for me to understand the mindsets and just how you organize your life. But one of the more interesting places to start would be where did the interest in medicine start for you? That's a good question. <laughs> I have to think back a little ways, to be honest about that one. So I happened to grow up in a family where my dad was a doctor, his father was as well, although different specialties. Uh, so I guess I was exposed to it from, from uh, I guess, as far back as I can remember. Mm-hmm. But the actual interest to pursue that probably started as I was getting into high school years or so and, and starting to think about things that, that I was interested in and what mattered most to me. I think like many kids, when I was in elementary and middle school years, I was going to be a professional athlete, which Mm -hmm. of course was a completely ridiculous idea, but most of us thought we were that good, but we weren't. (laughs) And then a quick little tangent. What was it about sports that uh, grabbed your attention as a young kid? 
I think it was just a lot of fun, uh, a lot of camaraderie playing. Because mostly then when you were growing up, you could more or less pick your team. So you would play with your friends. You'd get outside, run around, basically be on the same team for a few different sports in the different seasons. And, and so that was fun to do that with your friends and to to grow and de- develop your skills. And then as you get a little bit older and you watch professional sports on TV, so many of us would go, oh, I can do that. Of course, you know, no, <laughs> we can't. Uh, but you think that for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I think as I got a bit more serious into school and thinking about what was of interest to me, pursuing a path where I could help other people and be of service to other people was very meaningful. It was something I'd seen because of my dad. And um, I guess things just went from there. It's interesting to hear that because it's like the practicality of it sits in almost like you have this thing. What do I actually want to do? And it, for me, when I think about choosing to become a doctor, I just think of the long road ahead, about 10 years on average Mm -hmm. To once you even just commit to doing that, there's a lot of other prerequisites just to get there. So what was that like for you? Was it something that came easy or was it a struggle? <laughs> I think that you're absolutely right to, to start with. There is a, as with many other professions, a long road. I think that in many ways, the healthcare field, when you're on the pre-side of it, gets romanticized and the idea of helping people is very appealing, very fulfilling and rewarding. And it is a great thing to think about a lot of the other aspects to it don't necessarily come into consideration. And as you go through the training part of it, the excitement towards being able to get to that place where you're going to be able to help other people and make a difference in other people's lives, I think is front and center. And that just, carries you through a lot of the a lot of the process and then once you get into medical school you have that and then also the system is basically designed to pull you along so once you're in there you're going to get through to the other side of it (laughs) one way or another and (laughs) it just pulls you along at times because with anything a long path there's going to be ups and downs along the way Mm -hmm. and the ups are easy to manage the downs are sometimes harder to work through but there's people around that just pull you along. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The The idea of being pulled along, it's almost like a destiny thing. But I think it is true. Once you choose a path, there's a certain momentum behind it. And for you, what was it like? Maybe, for, for instance, if there was something like a struggling test or exam or something that was like a, a bump in the road for you, what was it like for you to deal with that? Maybe even now, like something more relevant to current standards. But like, how would you deal with struggle back then or relating it to even today? I think earlier on, like in the academic career, if that's what you call it, with exams or assignments or whatever that didn't go well, it it was not something I necessarily managed well because I didn't have the skills developed yet to be able to manage those bumps in the road. There was too much. Looking back, it's clear. At the time, I had no idea. Looking back, though, it's clear there's too much emphasis on the goal to obtain as opposed to the process by which you would obtain it. And so if the short-term goal didn't wasn't good enough for the long-term goal, there'd be a lot of concern or I don't want to say anxiety or depression because it wasn't that severe, but mm-hmm. that type of feeling that, that you weren't living up to what you needed to be. Now I have a very different perspective on 
on that whole process of setting out your goals and working towards them and, and how you address things, whether you succeed in them or whether you don't succeed in them mm-hmm. and how you move forward after all of that. If, um, if I knew then what I knew now, I think it would be quite different, but <laughs> that's true for many of us for a lot of different things. Yeah, definitely. And before we get to the present day, I, I would like to just keep going and, and reliving the process of becoming, right, is what we're going on here. For the road ahead with, as you got closer and closer to, you know, finishing up medical school, what was it like that feeling as you were getting closer to the, the proverbial finish line, but it's like the beginning mm-hmm. of the future, realistically? <laughs> right. I don't know if this was the same for many other people, although if I had to guess, I would say it is probably very similar. And there's always the next step, always the next step and the step after that and the step after that. So for example, you set as a goal when you're in college, oh, we're going to get into med school. Okay, great. So when you get into med school, oh, there might be a little bit of a small sense of relaxation or accomplishment that you've gotten at, but then it's very quickly on to now you need to do well in med- medical school because you want to get into the residency that you want. Mm-hmm. Then when you get to the residency you want, it's about the thing after that and the thing after <laughs> that and the thing after that. And everything is so outcome focused that it becomes a really interesting, almost perpetual cycle mm-hmm. of focusing on a goal that's down the road that requires a lot of work, working towards it, yeah. and then almost right away looking towards whatever that next goal that's coming down the road is going to be, which is not a great way to, to live at all. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the process of becoming, which is so important. And in a sense, this is the process of becoming. It's becoming this professional goal that you may have. Mm-hmm. But it also, if one isn't careful about it, it also becomes too consuming in the sense that it starts to overtake the, the, what is the most important process of becoming. And that's the process within ourselves of yeah. becoming becoming who we are and, and reaching our potential in whatever endeavor it is, including, most importantly, the endeavor of understanding who you are and, and gaining some control over yourself yeah. to the point that, that you can direct yourself in the right ways. I, I resonate with that wholeheartedly. It's even though becoming a doctor or becoming any profession that someone wants to dedicate their life to becoming, I still think there's a certain percentage of the person that it's worth not attaching everything that you are into that mm-hmm. thing. I'm glad you brought that up. The idea of a chasing achievement and a chasing a grade or chasing a placement in your class, or even if it's like sales numbers, right? Mm -hmm. There's metrics Mm -hmm. everywhere about placing where you are on the totem pole among your peers. And maybe it's just the most visible metric to most of us to place ourselves. But I would love for you to elaborate on just pushing back on this achievement oriented model, because I think that's part of why we're in a lot of these troubles that we're in right now, but dealing with burnout, fatigue, and some other mental disorders along with that. Yeah, I I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, To be honest, off the top of my head, I'm not sure how to elaborate on that because I think you hit it on the head really well. But I I completely agree. When we have too much of a focus or emphasis on some potentially obtainable goal at the end of a process, but not enough focus on developing ourselves, 
then we get into a difficult situation because either you accomplish that goal or you don't. And if you do, then it's just, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And if you don't, it's almost as if because you've forgotten that process of developing yourself, mm-hmm. there starts to become almost this crisis of I didn't achieve what I set out to. I equated that with myself as a person. And now what does that mean for me? Does that mean that I you know, have not fulfilled my potential as a person? Or is it just that I didn't obtain whatever objective there was? And when those two get confused, I think it can lead to a lot of problems. And, and like you said, one of those big problems is burnout. And I, unfortunately, within my profession, there's a huge amount of burnout. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's lots of studies out on this now. And they do self-report studies of healthcare providers. And most of them show 40, 50 percent of people self-report burnout and you can almost imagine because this is self-reporting and healthcare is an industry where people do have some egos (laughs) that it might actually be higher than that and that's really high and and it's really unfortunate because we're trained to help other people yet in that training what gets lost is how to help yourself Mm -hmm. and we can't any of us doesn't matter what walk of life we're in we can't be of service or of help to anybody else if we haven't looked after ourselves first. So we can miss out on that a lot through the process of training in healthcare. Yeah. So for you, did this like story of burnout or even once you finished med school and started your practice and residency, did you hit this what's next milestone or then burnout for yourself? Because I feel like a lot of these times is these questions come up when you after the fact, like you realize there's a problem and then you have to course correct. And it's almost like a trial by fire. And I wish it wasn't the case, but it's some, to some degree, I feel like it almost has to happen to every one of us. (laughs) Yeah. I think it happens that way for a lot of people. And, and for sure. in, in over the course of my training milestones, yeah, it was always, okay, you got this step. What's next? What's next? What's next? And I definitely lost track of a lot of the skills that I just by pure coincidence had happened to learn about playing sports in high school with mindset training and and some sports psychology stuff. I was interested in the time that I lost track of during college and med school and training. And ironically, that's the time I needed it the most. And I just lost track of it and going one thing to the next. I think before it, all of a sudden things just don't feel the way you think they're going to feel. They don't, it doesn't, it's like they're, it just doesn't fit properly. And I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, it's very clear to me that about five or six years ago, I became quite burnt out in my practice, which was an orthopedic oncology practice. That's what I was subspecialized in. And I was fortunate. It was never something that led to any problems with patient care issues. It was never something that led to substance abuse as it does for many people, but it was burnout nonetheless. And uh, fortunately it brought me back to those ideas of sports psychology I'd learned in the past. And I picked up an old book that I had. What was uh, the book? Read through it, got updated on where things had gone over the ensuing or intervening 25 years to see that the field had really evolved and kind of went from there. What what was the book that you read? I'm just curious if you remember any of the tools that you like rediscovered. Oh, sure. So at at the time, so it was when I was in high school, so it was like the early 90s or or somewhere there. Mm -hmm. And I was growing up in Ottawa, Canada. That's where I grew up. And there was a sports psychology professor at the university in Ottawa by the name of Terry Orland. He had written a couple of books. And the one that I had read in high school that I picked up the copy of 25 years later was called In Pursuit of Excellence. There's 
more recent editions now. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a lot of the stuff that's talked about now as far as focus control, positive thinking, optimism, how to refocus, distraction control, all of these types of things. But now there's just so much more depth in each of those areas. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more about meditation, which interestingly, though in that book, in that edition, he didn't talk, call it mindfulness. Oh, but when really? you go wow. back and you look at a lot of the breathing exercises, it is completely mindfulness. It's just not called that. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool. So that was trippy to go and, and see that and then update to how things are described now. And as well, now there's so much on sleep and nutrition and exercise and recovery. And these are all things that in the healthcare system, one, going through med school and residency, you know, we don't get trained in that. Yeah. And we sure don't incorporate that into how we treat our patients. How did you guys sleep? I'm curious, like, because especially because you went before this paradigm shift with the sleep revolution, I'm going to call it right now. I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to call it that because doctors are are notorious for having very long hours and and working Mm -hmm. crazy schedules, especially in residency. Yeah, really bad. (laughs) So that is completely true. And not only is it long hours and not necessarily a lot of sleep, but there's also this culture for most people in healthcare of almost pride in not sleeping a lot. And so it would not be uncommon that talking amongst peers, people would all talk as if it were a badge of honor that they slept three hours or four hours the night before. Not understanding that that is absolutely not a badge of honor, in fact, quite the opposite. And it's, it's a big problem. It's really interesting because I can't recall off the top of my head exactly when this change to residency programs was made, but there was a change made for work hours okay. because of this issue mm-hmm. that residents uh, frequently would work 36 hours straight, be like off for eight hours or so and come back and you know do it again. Wow. And so different countries created different work hour restrictions like per week and maximum number of consecutive hours. And the interesting thing about that is that's been implemented. It's not always adhered to, but there's no work hour restrictions once you finish residency. So once you're out in practice, there's nothing, there's no restrictions whatsoever. There's not even recommendations. So you can just work however much you want. (laughs) Basically, yes. And, And in fact, it's not just however much you want because you get essentially incentivized to keep working, to do more because there's always so much work to be done that, for example, because it's what I know, if there was an orthopedic surgeon that said to somebody else, oh, hey, I, I see you're on call tonight and there's a surgery that needs to be done, I'll do it for you. Most people say, okay, you know, there's yeah. nothing stopping them from, from doing that. And, and a lot of people would hand that over and somebody could just keep working. Wow, that's crazy. I've never heard of that before, but that's incredible work ethic for one thing. It's so well, for, maybe. I, I, Yeah, I talk about this quite often with just this double-edged sword of certain behaviors. Workaholism can be its own negative, even though it seems Mm -hmm. to be not as looked down upon as, say, other habits like alcoholism or something like that. But it still has its own host of problems uh, with that. Yes, totally agree. So for you, as you started reincorporating or rediscovering these old mindset tactics and sports psychology tactics into your practice, what did you notice was going on? Did you start applying them, I guess, and then de-stressing yourself? Yeah, so it was a gradual process for sure. And there was definitely some benefit in, in bringing in some of those mindset training skills, bringing in meditation, which I hadn't done as a formal practice before then. And 
also I could see how important it was to bring that into the way that we treat patients as a complement to the traditional Western medical paradigm. And we're really, to be honest, missing out by not doing that more because there's so much more to health than what we do in the traditional paradigm of just identifying and treating diseases. There's so much more to promoting health and well-being that we could be doing. And bringing that not only to ourselves as individual providers, but also to our partners and, and colleagues because everybody needs it. Some people understand that and other people don't. But at the end of the day, everybody really needs it because the stresses and demands on healthcare providers are really high. We, certainly with the current COVID pandemic, there's a lot of discussion in the media about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the demands were really high before. They're even higher now, but they were, they're already high and burnout was already a problem before this. And yeah. it only seemingly is becoming more of a problem. So yeah, I could see how beneficial it would be. I never really got into treating patients with a lot of these ideas, uh, but more myself and, and didn't really get into coaching or consulting with other providers about it because at the time I was just figuring it out for myself. And then about two years ago, I stopped my traditional practice to focus on doing exactly this, which is to bring this into the healthcare realm for patients and providers alike, because I think this is a really important innovation that needs to happen within the healthcare system. The, The paradigm that we have is really not changed in probably centuries. The idea of identify disease and treat it, our ability to diagnose problems and to treat them is way better than it was. 20 years ago, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, but the paradigm is the same. We still don't emphasize promotion of health and well-being, and yet that's where everything is. It's very hard to do anything that any of us want in life if we don't have our health and our wellness. And to me, it sounds a lot like treating the root cause rather than just the symptom. It's going back to first principles. Rather than treat the wound, you treat what caused the wound, (laughs) and For me, I I just love talking about mindfulness and meditation because as someone who's an engineer and a scientist, it was very much one of those things that was on the edge of my tolerance for a very long time of that those woo-woo sensors were going off for me. (laughs) And so I'd just love for you to elaborate for someone in general terms without a lot of the spiritual stuff attached to it and how you would have approached mindfulness or meditation to someone just to break through in another way to see it rather than some of the other connotations that are still around it. Sure. No, I I totally agree with, with you as far as separating out the more spiritual side of it. I think one of the the best descriptors I've ever come across from it um, is not my own, but I heard it and I thought, wow, that really explains it well. And I think it was Sam Harris that was talking about it. And I can't remember exactly where, if it was an interview or one of his podcasts or, or something else, but it was definitely Sam Harris. And, and the way he was describing it was mindfulness and meditation practice is like training for your brain. Think of it as training for your brain, which I totally agree with. And he drew the comparison to a few decades ago when doing just regular routine physical exercise just to promote your health was not something that people did. People would exercise for a particular purpose. They were training for this sport or that event. But just to do it just for general health really wasn't a very big thing. In fact, so much so that people who did would almost be thought of as being on the fringe. And the comparison he was drawing is, well, this meditation practice is exactly like that physical exercise for your health, except it's brain exercise, mind exercise for your health and that we need to just normalize it as part of what we should all be doing. 
as part of a healthy lifestyle. And I thought that was a really great way of um, looking at it. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. or not it gets normalized like that, who knows? There's obviously a lot of interest in, in meditation <laughs> and mindfulness currently and whether it's it's a fad or if it's here to stay, only time will tell. Yeah, definitely. I really like that. It, as you were talking, it clicked for me and it's, oh, it's a bicep curl for your mind. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. To exactly. into the metaphor of working out. I really enjoyed that. And it's funny for me because mindfulness really happened because I started working out for myself. I don't think if I hadn't gotten into working out, I don't think I would have ever gone as deep into my mindset and psychology as I have. And mm-hmm. I, I think it goes to show that you know it pays service to Descartes' error, the idea that thinking and feeling aren't linked, but in reality, they are linked. And yeah. when one is weak, if your body is weak, the mind suffers as well, even though you could have the sharpest intellect. And I, I just love for you to elaborate on, on any further ideas around mindfulness and, and just not really the scientific efficacy because that's still to be proven and altered traits. If people are interested is one of my favorite books on the science of mindfulness. I love that book. If you need more concrete information of what's going on in the brain, but if, if there's anything else around working out in mindfulness, like that interplay, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Well, and I agree with you. I think that book is great because it it really, is a comprehensive overview and summary of, of the, the research that's been done, which is pretty amazing in, in many areas. Mm-hmm. I think that the, like the saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. It, it really is one of those situations with meditation is that, I mean, like you, I was very reluctant to get into it. I had tossed around the idea for several months, maybe even close to a year before actually trying to start the practice. And once you start that practice and actually continue it for, it doesn't even have to be very long, like five to 10 minutes a day for maybe a few weeks, maybe a month, you start to see the beginnings of how much it can help just as far as simple things like recognizing how you might be feeling at a given point in time, slowing yourself down when you are about to react to something in a way that perhaps doesn't represent how you would like to react to that thing. And once you start to see that, it starts to become quite reinforcing to say, hey, this really, really, there really is something to this. I can start to see the beginnings of the benefits. And then as you do it a little bit more, because you saw the initial benefit, you start to see larger benefits and it just becomes very reinforcing in a way. Yeah, I really like that. And and especially given the context of this time period, I've noticed myself being more empathetic about people's situation with when there's so much polarization across everything right now i've mm-hmm. noticed that being able to contend with your own emotional landscape you can then put more distance and, and view other people's viewpoints or opinions about a certain you know context in a much calmer light rather than just jumping to some conclusion of oh that person must be x or y it's like understanding yourself to understand people but be- other people better is it, kind of how i've been the more modern version i would say for me <laughs> yeah no i think that makes a lot of sense it's like that whole idea about in order to help other people we have to help ourselves it probably could be extended out to in order to understand other people we also have to understand ourselves and mm-hmm. know what's going on in our inner world before we can really take in what's going on for other people. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing, of course, is with meditation is you can use it to cultivate and develop compassion and empathy 
and kindness and a lot of these traits that are just so desperately needed Mm -hmm. in so many different areas across the world right now. Mm -hmm. And so there's those benefits as well. It's hard to imagine that we would have a lot of the problems we currently are facing if a larger portion of the population had a regular meditation practice. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and elaborate more on like this, the other aspects here, the compassion and empathy and, and just how you've, you came into contact with these ideas and try to elaborate them into the healthcare sphere. Yeah, I, I think at first I got into meditation more on the, you know, single point concentration side of it. The love and kindness, compassion side of it was something that I learned about afterwards. And I think it, it's really important because it helps to open up oneself to what is going on for other people and compassion and empathy are are very important aspects to being a good provider to other people whether it's in healthcare or not and in the healthcare realm people are so overwhelmed just with the volume of work that they're doing the external demands the stress some degree of burnout that it can be very easy to develop elements of what gets called compassion fatigue or emotional burnout or there's different terms for it but at the end of the day basically describing a situation where you're so stressed so fatigued so worn down that it is very hard to have that compassion or that empathy for other people and this is probably the best way that i can think of within our own control of overcoming that because The other way is, well, decrease the amount of volume and the amount of external stress. That would be great, but we don't necessarily have control over that. What we do have control over are what are the habits and practices that that we do for ourselves that can help. And while system changes are needed too, we can only control the things that apply to ourselves. And so this is one of those things. And I think by incorporating some of those loving kindness type practices within a meditation practice, you can regain a lot of that compassion and empathy that might have fallen away from the surface as a result of a lot of the external demands and stresses. I I like to analogize a lot of human behavior to like computers and it's with all the technology, we've just opened up so many browsers in our brains, Mm -hmm. but we don't ever close them. And mindfulness to me feels like closing tabs or closing all your tabs if, if you do it long yeah. enough and, and just giving yourself a break for just mm-hmm. five, 10 minutes a day, whatever it may be, or just on your car ride home. If you have a long commute or something like that, yeah, um, for sure, because we're just bombarded with so many inputs and so many things. I'm curious too, if you knew anything about like screen time or just being in front of technology for too long, did you try to like limit technology exposure or anything like that? Or more modern versions? Do you do anything with limiting screen time? Limiting screen time within healthcare or, or just for, for myself? Either one. I'm just- for, for myself, it's, it's such a hard thing because so much of what we do as far as gain, gathering information, doing whatever we need to do business-wise and so forth is all done on, I know. on screens. <laughs> but yeah, to the extent that it's possible, we try to. I think a habit I'm hopefully developing is to at least use screens more mindfully. And so it becomes less of this sort of um, zombie-like use and scrolling through things and a little bit more intentional and directed within that healthcare realm. It's similar to be honest, because everything starts to become digitized. And one of the challenges that people have is the whole electronic health records. 
and there's so much information that has to be put into them to meet the requirements that a lot of patient visits end up becoming distracted by this screen that's there that you've got to click through and fill out all of this information. And the personal nature of the whole visit can become lost fairly easily because of that. And I think people are trying to come up with different platforms that are more personable, more user-friendly, less computer-based. But at the present time, that is also a a challenge for sure because Mm -hmm. when you've got to click through a whole bunch of things and you have a limited period of time to do it, it frequently can become a situation where the provider is looking at the computer screen and the keyboard and not at the patient themselves. And this is just yeah, not ideal. Definitely not. That's a really interesting take because I've been thinking about a, a lot of the technology as it gets more and more embedded into our lives and figuring out ways where we can at least put space where we can just connect person to person more directly, I think is going mm-hmm. to pay dividends in the future because it's even like doing podcasts like this, through the screen, it's at least, I'm glad we get to do it, but there's still a certain percentage of it that's missed not being in person, but there's a different level to it. And I, Oh, absolutely. I don't think you, we take a lot of that for granted until you're in quarantine stuff or pandemic <laughs> yes. for, for, for months on end. And you're like, Oh wow. It's nice to go to do nothing with no scripted, no <laughs> organizing of times or whatever, just random occurrences that you forget about <laughs> yeah no for sure for sure one of one of the whole one of the silver linings that seems to be coming from the whole pandemic and the social distancing and the quarantine or lockdowns is that people seem to be amongst other things developing a renewed focus on promoting health and wellness as opposed to just treating sickness and disease mm-hmm. and hopefully that will persist and continue once the pandemic is over And we won't revert back to the bad habits of the past. And we'll actually learn the lesson that, yeah, we do need to promote health and wellness, which includes things like what you're saying. It includes not taking things for granted. It includes seeking out opportunities to do things in person rather than via technology where possible. It includes doing the things that are going to promote our own health and wellness, not just doing whatever old habits we may have had. We all have them. But yeah. hopefully that will be an enduring result yeah. from this whole situation. Was there any, is there any silver linings that you can think of right now in your own life that have come out of being in quarantine or just spending more time at home? For sure. I, I think the added time with my family has been great. We had always been fairly close, but I think even closer now after having gone through it, a really well gone through, I'm talking like it's over. It's not, <laughs> but having been going through a, a, very challenging, high emotion, stressful time and working together to support and help one another because it seems like at, at times one of us is up and another is down and it's a roller coaster. And And I think that whole process is really good. Unfortunately, it seems it's been overwhelming for a lot of people, but we've been fortunate to be able to support and promote each other and, and help each other through it. And I think that's a, a really positive thing on a personal on a personal level, mm-hmm. on a just inner life type of level, it's been an opportunity to really work on and, and try to develop more of these habits and skills than I had before. Professionally, with the healthcare system, like I was saying, hopefully an enduring emphasis on promoting health and wellness, there's also a very big interest in telehealth and telemedicine, which would be a wonderful evolution within the healthcare system mm-hmm. to make 
quality specialty care available to people wherever they happen to be as long as they have an internet connection they could see basically any provider anywhere which would be a real great benefit to come from this as well so i think there are some silver linings out there for sure it's just a matter of hopefully we will seize the opportunity to follow through on them and it won't just be a temporary interest i've seen a lot of the similar things in my own life just appreciating simpler things or reverting back to time periods where or you realize how many things you do in your day that you don't necessarily have to be doing the time mm-hmm. your time mm-hmm. just gets filled up with activities or travel commitments and you're like oh wow okay a full day goes by without just because i'm driving most of the day or something like that and you get to realize how much of that movement is actually necessary movement i think the other part of this would be for you and as part of your entire idea like trajectory into wellness is as you've seen everything transition with the rediscovering of a performance psychology and then reapplying that to the medical sphere what are you seeing like bubbling up in your world your worldview sorry as of right now or it seems like the biggest bang for your buck i think it it really lies in trying to proactively develop a lot of these wellness habits and holistic methods, as I like to call them, just because it is a comprehensive thing Mm -hmm. that's going to allow everybody to be at their best and and to pursue whatever it is they want in life. And I think a lot of us are finding that the stress of the pandemic has brought about a change and we're going to start a meditation practice or we're going to focus on our sleep or we're going to pay more attention to our nutrition. And that's great. Reactive to the start of the pandemic is better than nothing at all. But you can also see how much more powerful it would have been had we started that proactively at some point in the past, because then you would have had the benefits up until now, and you'd almost be better trained up, better prepared to deal with the stresses of the time. And unfortunately, many of these big challenges and stresses in life are not predictable, and and they come unexpectedly. And so I think a huge return on investment, as it were, is to really prioritize that proactive training of these skills and habits for people because as we also know from anybody that's tried to break an old habit and get a new better habit it's hard to do and it takes a long time so it's very hard to do that after the stress has happened and then use the benefits of that habit or skill in dealing with the stress you need to have it beforehand and so i think that is attached to the health and wellness promotion aspect and hopefully will be a, a really positive thing moving forward from this as a renewed interest in doing those sorts of things. Especially with the beginning of this pandemic, I it felt like this moment of, oh, thank God I've been trying to do all this for mm-hmm. the last few years because I really felt, okay, now I get to roll my sleeves up and it's this is, I hate to say it this way, but it's, this is what I'd, I'd been training for. Like now I get to really see if all these things that I was focusing on actually they've sunk in enough and right. it's, do the sleep routines happen or does the diet stay the way it was or, <laughs> or, or just even just being okay with the uncertainty of, of the future mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I would love to hear you like contending with this like uncertainty and just the uneasiness of most people. I think you'd mentioned it too, just how like stressful and like the highs and lows, like the volatility mm-hmm. of people's mental state. I feel like that might be the most difficult aspect of all of this. And, and 
I'm curious to say outside of mindfulness, of course, what else you think works the best to ride the wave? I, I think, like you say, a meditation practice is, is really key to that. And I think the other aspects are just the, the recovery principles that we would use to recover from any other types of stresses. So part of that is definitely meditation. Part of it is getting as good quality and as much quantity sleep as, as we're able. Good, balanced, nutritious diet so that our body has the nutrients to to do the things it needs to do on the cellular level, but getting regular exercise and all of these things together, which are pretty well-established recovery principles are going to help manage a lot of the stresses that come from this. I think that unfortunately the stress in dealing with all the pandemic related events and all has been one of the topics that has gotten some attention, but not as much as it deserves because it is a huge, it is a huge deal. And it is a major stress for everyone. I have seen it in young children behaving in totally different ways, all the way up through stories you read about elderly people. Mm -hmm. So it affects us all. And we have not focused as much as, as perhaps we should have on that aspect of all of this. I hadn't heard about children reacting to this, but I think it does make sense because it's, I don't know. It, it, I'm thinking to myself, if, if you have young children who are going to school or going to be going to school mm -hmm. or even daycare, you're having to instill certain behaviors onto them, wear a mask and stop touching your face or something like that. It's like they have to grow up way sooner than they should be. Or not seeing your friends, not getting to play the yeah. sports that you would typically be playing because it's all been canceled. And yeah, it has an effect on absolutely everybody. I'm really glad you brought that up too. Sports. So I had a thought in conversation with some of my friends around sports being since it's gone or not gone, but they're coming back now, but they were gone when this first mm -hmm. started. And, and I feel like that's been another huge negative impact. And I know how much you love sports at the beginning. So I'd just like to hear your thoughts on it, but you know, that's like a huge social outlet for us. The sports games, or you go to the bars, mm -hmm. or you just you you shoot the shit with friends talking about sports teams yeah. or something, and it, so it just becomes this thing to talk about to vent and and just stress relief mm -hmm. because there's so much around it that people enjoy. So I'm curious if do you have any thoughts around certain things like that we can't do right now because of the situation. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree with everything you said. Um, sports is a big part of people's lives as far as participating in sports themselves as well as following their favorite sports teams or athletes and talking about it and having friendly arguments about it right. <laughs> and whatever else it is a huge part of a huge part of life similarly artistic events like oh, yeah. theater or art shows and all of this has all been stopped like you said some of the professional sports are starting back up in a you know different capacity than they were before but that's just another example of how there's been almost like this hidden impact from the whole pandemic. We get a lot of information about the direct impact as far as people getting sick, people dying. There's another side to it too, and, and that includes the impact on people that does not show up in those statistics, but shows up in their mental health is deteriorating. They're missing out on this, that, and the other thing. Kids be it elementary school, middle school, high school, college that don't have their graduations, um, which compared to life and death may not seem as big of an issue, but in their lives, it is a big issue. It's an important event. It's a milestone event. And, and I think it's important that we recognize that has an impact as well. And to forget about it is doing, to forget about the impact it has on other people 
is perhaps doing a disservice to them because it is important and it does have a lasting, it does have the potential to have a lasting effect on kids and adults alike. Yeah. So many good points. And and it's one of the things that I keep thinking about in, in the background of all of this. It's like, what are the, we're playing, I hate to say it this way, but it's like this experiment on society in real time, just with whatever this is causing. And we're going to have to deal with the repercussions of whatever this is mm-hmm. for many years to come, no matter how long this takes to actually work through its course, whatever that may be. And so it's figure out mitigating factors <laughs> as soon as yep. possible so that we can adapt as quickly or at least curb the the worst of it outside of the actual life and death risk, I think. So you're hitting on so many important things that I haven't actually gotten to talk to too many people about yet. I find that so interesting. Any other points that in your experiences that seem to be really important or just really impactful for you within the wellness space? I think it, it, it's mostly about promoting the importance of this to everybody. I think as we're all growing up and, and focused on our interests and our goals, it becomes very easy to get tunnel vision with them. And it just, it, it sounds cliche, but it's so true. Without health and wellness, there's very limited ability to pursue whatever it is somebody has as their passion in life or whatever their goals may be. And even if they are able to, at some point, their health and wellness is going to become front and center in their mind. And as we were talking about with with the meditation practice and the pandemic, you're so much better off to have developed these skills in advance so that they're already strong when those challenges come up. And along the way, these skills are actually going to help you pursue the goals that are important. And so I think what really can't be emphasized enough is just the importance for all of us to develop and train these sorts of habits and skills so that they become a daily part of our lives, part of our routines. And if a larger number of people were doing these sorts of things, so many of the issues we'd be facing as a society would be better. And then on a personal level for each individual, they would be in a better place to be able to pursue whatever is important to them in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that. And I, do you agree? Do you have any sort of like framework for yourself that helps you anchor not maybe your day or a week on how do you break out your day on, on these wellness practices? Uh, I would love to be able to tell you I have this wonderful routine that is tried and tested and then um, very <laughs> consistently followed, but I can't. Uh, I do for my meditation practice, I do have that fairly well established and that I do 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at the end of the day. Oh, cool. And that's, that's really consistent. I do a breathing training exercise in the morning after meditating for 10 minutes. And then everything else is not as well formulated as I would like. And then that's in part because of a lot of moving pieces of life. And it's hard to really plug everything in because it's too fluid for that mm-hmm. at times. But I do try to make sure I get enough exercise that nutrition-wise that we're getting enough nutrients and we certainly pay attention to things like supplements and whatnot Mm -hmm. just to help with that. I'm very aware of sleep and getting enough sleep and the idea that just because you go to bed and wake up the next morning and it's an eight-hour length of time, that doesn't mean one has slept eight hours because there's a lot of awakenings in the night that you may not even be aware of. I don't get as much sleep as I would like, but that's something that's front and center 
in my mind as well about trying to to make sure that at least you provide enough of a sleep window to get the requisite seven to nine hours, even if we fall short of that. I think, and then this, it's interesting because it comes back full circle with some of the meditation stuff is it's great to have these habits and skills and to be working on them and developing them. We also need to have the self-compassion to recognize that when we don't live up to what we're hoping to with developing these skills and habits, that's okay. And you just, as the classic meditation phrase, you just begin again and, and, and go back and, and try to improve and, and continue on with the practice of it all. Um, that's, I, it's so great. I just love that you one didn't have some canned answer about, oh yeah, I do this all the time. And it's great because I think that's half of this stuff, being able to set the goal and, and know that sometimes you're going to fall short because life happens, yeah. right? Like we all have lives and th- different things that happen or events that we want to partake in and you, you're going to miss the goal sometimes, but that's okay. Cause you're a yeah. human trying to enjoy your life too. You're not a robot that is always going to hit your exactly. targets. It's so cool for me to just hear that. And it, it's a process like, like this whole thing. It's the process of becoming and it's never ending until it's our last breath. We're, we're not going to, stop trying to be more or be do, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're right. It, it, it is a never ending process and it's a journey that's exciting because it's, it's filled with a lot of wonderful kind of revelations and, and accomplishments and setbacks, but improvements and all in all, it's just a, a really great opportunity. Yeah. So we're almost at an hour. And so I'll give you a couple of rapid questions that I just love to ask my guests on just in general, because I'm a really big book fan. So if there's any mm-hmm. books that either you've gifted to people or just found really impactful in any category, doesn't matter what it is, but any like top three to five books that you'd love for other people to read. Yeah. The ones that I talk about the most are the book that, that finally got me hooked on doing a mindfulness meditation practice. And that book is You Are Here by Thich Nhat Hanh. He's got a lot of really amazing books, but that happened to be the one that my wife gave me at the time. That's what spoke to me. Mm-hmm. That's what resonated with me. Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, a lot of people talk about that, and I think that's just an absolutely amazing book. It's probably mm-hmm. the book I've read the most number of times. I quote uh, him regularly. We re-read the most number of times <laughs> just because it's so profound and just really teaches so many important lessons. And then the third one I would put on there is Mindset by Carol Dweck talking about growth mindsets, because I think that just speaks to what we were just talking about. You know, we don't always live up to what we want, but, but we just have to continue on the path and journey and, and try to get better and better. Yeah. All great books. I, I love all of those. I actually got to, I haven't read the first one, but I've heard of him before. And mm-hmm. I believe I have one of his books. I don't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but yeah. heard many things and seen many quotes by him. So that's definitely going to be added to the list. And the other two, I both enjoy <laughs> greatly. Yeah, lots of people do. They're, yeah. they're, they're kind of foundational types of books to read. Definitely. And so second to last question here is in this, you know, stressful time, as we've definitely highlighted and covered, if you were talking to either someone who might be just entering the working world, maybe graduated college recently, or someone who finds themselves in a situation where they have to start over by maybe no fault of their own, pivoting in this uncertain time, what advice would you give them just to leaning into the moment or dealing with starting over? I think as cliche as it is, it it comes back to some of the meditation principles of nothing in life is permanent. Everything is always changing. 
And so whatever experience you're going through at the present time, that's not permanent, be it a good one or a bad one. And to just be in the moment, take what you can from the moment and move forward to the next one without hopefully dwelling too much on the past or worrying too much about the future. Mm -hmm. I think being present is, though it gets thrown around a lot these days, it is just so critically important. And the more we're able to do that, the more we're able to accomplish and experience all the things that we want, not in, not only in that moment, but in life in general. Yeah. I I like that. And last question here before we wrap Mm -hmm. up is what do you anchor yourself in a value or when you, if maybe if you wake up in the morning and have some sort of vision for your day or for your life, how do you keep yourself going or motivated in, in stressful times or in general? I think the, the big few are to try to be optimistic and grateful for the things that are in life and optimistic towards the future, as well as being grounded in the present and trying to open and connect with people with kindness. I think the more I'm able to do those three things as much as possible, the the better everything seems to be for myself and for the people around me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I, I know it sounds cliche, connecting to people and trying to make as much of a positive impact in others' lives, rooting for each other at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I think really pays its dividends far greater than any other payment you may ever receive, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. That's totally true. Yeah. Well, Darren, I really appreciate the time you've given me here. Is there any other thoughts that may have been triggered in the last com- hour of conversation that you might want to touch on before we uh, wrap up and you provide ways people can connect with you? No, I think it's been a great wide range of conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Eric. And I think it's just reiterating how much we can all benefit by, by developing and promoting our own health and wellness and helping and supporting each other to do the same. And the more we're able to do that for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, and for society as a whole, the better off everybody is going to be. Because yet another cliche, but it's true, we're all basically in it together at the end of the day. And, and so we should all be pulling in the same direction as much as possible. Yeah, you're right on with it. All right, Darren, so how can people connect with you across the interwebs? So my website is just my name, Darren Davidson, D-A-R-I-N. Davidson, D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N.com. I do have Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn, but to be honest, I can't remember those handles, but there are links to it on the website. If people go to that website, they'll be able to access um, those platforms from there. I just can't remember the different handles. It's different for each one of yeah. the three, so I can't keep track of all three of them <laughs> off the top of my head. No worries. I'll have links to it all in the show notes on the webpage once this goes live anyways. So there'll be ways to connect with Darren and see what he's all about in more detail. And again, thank you for your time and really appreciative of everything that you do and just the positivity and the optimism that you carry into not only your practice, but just in who you are. Thanks very much, Eric. It's been great talking with you and and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. 
And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Feeding Curiosity. I hope you all learned something or at least got you thinking. If you want to dive in deeper, please head over to feedingcuriosity.net to find related links or just more podcasts and blogs that we posted there. On top of this, please consider subscribing to our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest happenings on the website. Thank you all for joining me one more time and we'll catch you all in the next episode.